Producer Michael Miracle here, and before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to quickly invite you to join the I Work For Him Nation. Being a part of the nation is all about being Jesus in your workplace, because you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So, head to our website, iworkforhim.com, and click on the nation flag, then prayerfully consider joining the nation. We'd love for you to join us in this workplace movement. Thanks again for listening. Here's today's podcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I work for him this afternoon as you listen to us all across Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 at FM 102.1, but across the country on iHeartRadio, Let's Talk Faith.com, and of course on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher, as well as Faith Play. However, you hear the show today, just know that I have been praying that this show will absolutely turn your heart upside down for the gospel in understanding the calling on your life. In fact, Do you know what a kingdom calling is? Do you have one of those on your life? How would you know? What would it look like? How would it impact you on a daily basis? Does your church have a plan on how to challenge and equip you for your kingdom calling? If they don't, you might want to send them the link to this show when you're done listening. Do you even know what the kingdom is and how we're supposed to be living it out today? I know until five years ago, I didn't. Today, you're going to get to hear from Dr. Amy Sherman. She's the found, she is the senior fellow at the Sagamore Institute for Policy Research, where she directs the Center on Faith and Communities. She likes to describe the work of the center as being a minister to ministries. She provides training and consulting to churches and nonprofits seeking to transform their communities for the common good. Dr. Amy Sherman is the author of six books, and we're going to highlight Pieces of one that she's written back a few years ago called Kingdom Calling, but it is very fresh today. Dr. Amy Sherman, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I'm just excited as Martha and I have gotten to, to see you in action on the stage last October in Dallas and then this October in Kansas City. I just see that you've got a heart and a passion for pe- for Christ followers living their faith out in their workplaces and for encouraging and equipping churches to help us do the same. Uh, I'm just so grateful. So, Amy, why don't you just describe when did you realize that your life was going to be focused on being a voice in the faith and work movement. You know, it's been fairly recent, really. My original uh, kingdom calling, so to speak, was to equip the church for ministry among the poor. And that was a, a sense of calling I had on my life from a very early age. And I've been involved in both international uh, ministry and uh, domestic urban ministry. But several years ago, I began to realize that if we really wanted to see our cities transformed and our, particularly our distressed neighborhoods transformed, that was going to require that believers um, sort of pay attention to the common good and that they would be involved in the transformation of their city, um, not just with the edges uh, of their time, um, but actually thinking about how can I pursue the, the values of the kingdom and, and be a blessing uh, in my city through the daily work that I do. You know, when I ran an urban ministry, I had all kinds of volunteers and was really grateful for them. These were bankers and, and lawyers and educators, all different folks 
coming down to tutor kids and coach basketball teams and lead women's Bible studies and all that sort of thing, and it was great. But that's what they were doing, you know, with the two or three hours of time they had a week to volunteer. And I began to realize, wow, we're not really going to change the city if we're trying to do that using people's volunteer time. we got to figure out how to help people be a banker for the common good, how to be a lawyer for the common good, how to be an educator for the common good, to work for those sorts of changes in their daily life, in their daily job, um, that would advance, you know, the mission of, of seeing God's love and God's kingdom um, expand. So when you had conversations with people out there in the marketplace, in their workplaces, and you started to talk to them about this idea, how did you see them respond when you started to tell them, wow, you know, instead of just your three hours that you have time to volunteer each day or each week, think about the significance of the work that you do. When you started to open up their eyes, what was the reaction that you saw? I would say that the that the majority of folks were really excited about that. Um, the majority of folks wanted to know how to make what they did nine to five or eight to six or whatever they were working um, more significant for, for advancing the kingdom. Um, they loved the idea that they could have a mission um, during that period of time and not just on those sort of extra hours around the, the margin. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people volunteer for things because there's a need, uh, because they get guilted into it by someone that's, you know, standing up there at the ministry fair saying, hey, we're dying for <laughs> basketball coaches or whatever. And, um, you know, they may or may not get a lot of joy uh, out of that service. And when people recognize that they can use the gifts, the experience, the uh, the seniority, the the knowledge, you know, all the things that they've acquired in their in their vocational journey, and that they could actually deploy all of that in some new ways um, to advance the kingdom of God. It, it gave people a lot of a lot of joy and, and satisfaction. And as a ministry leader, you know, it made me realize, wow, you know, it's one thing for the banker to come down here and tutor a kid two hours a week, that's great. But boy, if that banker can get with a lot of other bankers and we can figure out how to, how to change the whole crisis of payday lending in the community mm. where that little kid who's in the tutoring program came from, that would be like a way bigger impact in wow. that neighborhood than just his relationship with that one kid. At the Kansas City uh, Made to Flourish a meeting in October. I sat at a table, very mixed uh, cultural experience, and I sat down with a lady and I said, "Explain." You know, and then there was that guy that I think you brought him up there, or you introduced him, but he he showed the pictures up on the stage of uh, it was red and blue, and it was and it had to do with um, uh, the the dividing line between where the most of the white people lived and what most of the black people lived, and and this woman had spent an hour explaining that to me, and she explained to me that in her community where mostly the black people lived in Kansas City, there were three banks, but they were right on the dividing line, and that within her community there were dozens of those payday lending places. But you had to go across the street into the white neighborhood to get to the banks. I mean, that's just the beginning of something. I had no idea of the incredible 
struggles in the communities because I just didn't grow up in it. So you, you say that, and I know that's just one thing you said, but boy, that opened my eyes, and I hope it opened up the eyes of a lot of people to say, wow, we've got issues here that really need yeah, to be addressed. Absolutely. So when you started to explore all this, and I know you wrote your book a few years back, Kingdom Calling is what we're going to talk about today. And by the way, I've already sent a couple of copies of this to a couple of very good friends of mine who need, I mean, they, this is a book that will help them understand things in a way that I never could explain it. But when you started to see all this and you started to then look back at the church, how did you see the church helping address these issues of vocation and calling with the people that go to church? Or how did you see your role in helping the church understand it? Well, I'd say, um, for the most part, um, it was a little discouraging because a lot of churches um, don't really know, I think, how to equip their folks to to think of themselves as being on mission in their in their daily job. Um, they might rhetorically talk about that a little bit. Um, usually it's limited to a conversation about evangelism. And so the way that you're on mission for the Lord in your daily job is that, you know, you start a Bible study at your job. And that's great, and tons of people need to be doing that. Um, But that's not really changing how the person is thinking about the work itself. And so you still had a lot of, you know, Christian engineers and Christian carpenters and, and uh, you know, Christian uh, paralegals sitting out in the pews thinking, okay, well, is that all? Is, is that the only way that I make a difference for Jesus in my job is by, you know, starting a, a Bible study? Um, so I think that churches have struggled to help people have a vision for what it means to really live out their faith at work. Sometimes... Um, Sometimes I saw a really negative thing, which is that there's a theology that's out there. I think it's shrinking, thankfully, but there's a theology that's been out there that has sort of said, you know, the really important jobs for the kingdom are the pastors and the missionaries and, you know, maybe the counselors or social workers. But sort of everybody else is kind of second class. And if you're, like, doing business then that's fine, but that's a secular job. When, and when so we make, come, make, a, make a bunch of money and then give your money to, you know, do the, do the real job. Amy, right before the break, you were talking about how it's almost like churches think there's like a two-tiered Christianity, that the super high callings of the pastors and the missionaries, and then there's the rest of us. What, I mean, how do you battle that? <laughs> well, I, I think thankfully it's, it's beginning to change some, but that, that mentality was what I saw some years ago when I first started working on the book. And, um, and, and that's a mentality that, you know, leaves, leaves a lot of people sitting in the pew feeling bad or at least feeling ill-equipped. Um, but churches can make a change. Um, pastors can begin to really understand, hey, we're not really doing faithful discipleship if we're not discipling people for what they spend, you know, a huge percentage of their time doing. Um, and so I have the sense that, you know, most pastors, I would hope, you know, really are truly passionate about discipleship. And so when they could just really understand, wow, this discipleship needs to be for people's lives outside the four walls of the church, not just inside the four walls. Um, when, when they recognize, wow, if we're really going to do whole life discipleship, um, my friends in Phoenix call it all of life, all for Jesus. 
if that's the kind of discipleship we really want to do, then we've got to start learning how to talk to people about their work. We've got to start learning how to get people excited about what it means to be on mission for the kingdom of God um, on a daily basis in the work that they're doing, whether that's work outside the home, whether that's work in the home, whether it's paid, whether it's unpaid, uh, just the, the daily labor that, that we're about um, really can be made so much more joyful and purposeful and meaningful um, when we understand what it looks like to, to live for the kingdom of God through that, in and through that daily work. Hey. Men, you know one of the things that I that I have learned, you know, growing up in church and literally all my life, having never heard a sermon about the significance of my work outside of it, I was just trained, hey Jim, you're supposed to work in your insurance business, your IT business, and make your money when you come to church. Give us your money and then volunteer. That was what I was told my calling was. If I wanted to be in full time ministry, I had to go to seminary and things like that. And I was called a lay pastor. I was called a lay minister. And yet I yep. have learned recently that's not really a word in the scriptures. That that we right. that, that 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 has to do with that that two tier uh, standards in that that the church is established, but it's not really real. That all of us have equal standing in the kingdom. That there's not one job more important than any other job, and no matter what we do, whether we're selling used cars, whether we're digging ditches, whether we're a nurse or a CEO, all of our jobs are significant to God. Yeah, that's right. And I think when pastors really understand, I think it's Ephesians 4.10 or 4.12, maybe, where it talks about, you know, how our pastors are supposed to be equipping the saints for their ministries. And so really the, the pastor needs to have the idea, wow, my job is to equip that Christian engineer, that Christian educator, that Christian uh, plumber, <laughs> uh, to think about their ministry out in the world through those vocations. That's what my job actually is. My job isn't to get the engineer and the plumber to come inside the four walls of the church and, and do a lot of volunteer work. I mean, you know, there's things that need to be done around the church, for sure. But mostly my job is to help equip them for what they're doing out in outside the four walls of the church. Right. It, it, we it we had a couple of couple months ago. We had a couple of air conditioning technicians, which here in Florida, that is like one of the most important <laughs> That's jobs. <a> that is, <laughs> and, and they ta- one of them was a former pastor, and he said, "Jim, I get a chance to do more one on one ministry as an air conditioning technician than I ever did as a pastor." And, and it was it was enlightening. It was incredible. It was an incredible conversation. All right, your book, Kingdom Calling, as we talked today with Amy Sherman. I just love it because if you really want to understand everything we talk about in I Work For Him, this is a book that puts it all in one place. And then the second half of the book is examples of people putting this into action. But Amy, you, not but, but you, you start with some definitions and I want people to understand it because in your book, you constantly reference the righteous. Now you use the Greek word, I believe, for righteous throughout it, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce because I, I put some little Star Wars uh, uh, dialect into it as I look at that <laughs> word. But you constantly reference the righteous. Who are the righteous? Yeah, so the righteous, it's actually a Hebrew word from okay. the Old Testament, and it's pronounced sadakim. And um, I got, my understanding of this really came from Pastor Tim Teller up at Redeemer in New York. And essentially what he what he said was, that word, when we see the word the just or the righteous in the Old Testament, most of the time... It's the Hebrew word, sadakim, and our English translation isn't really as robust as it needs to be, because the sadakim, yes, they are just people, they are the righteous people, but what they really are, in the fullest sense of the word, the, the righteous are people who are so in love with God, 
so in love with his kingdom, so in love with his purposes, that they see everything that they have been given, their wealth, their knowledge, their experiences, their relationships, their assets, their their education, every single thing that they have been given, they see those as gifts from God meant to be used for the blessing of other people. And in fact, Keller argues that when you really study uh, the, the word in Scripture, particularly in the Proverbs, you see that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of the common good. So they're not just open-handed and generous with all that they've been given. You know, they understand they're blessed to be a blessing, but they, they're even sacrificially doing that. <laughs> um, that. That's how passionate they are to give away sort of that which God has given them for the benefit of others. That That's who the righteous are, and that's just such a robust and, and uh, compelling and uh, extravagant vision uh, of being God's people in the world. I love that explanation. What a phenomenal, because now you take that idea of the righteous and, and, and the finish of the, of the definition, disadvantaging even themselves for the common good. You talk about the rejoiced city or rejoicing mm-hmm. a city. And I, that concept honestly opened my eyes up. I had never heard of that. How do the righteous bring about a rejoicing city or a rejoiced city. What is a rejoiced city and how do the righteous play part of that? Well, this all comes from the little verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 11.10, and it says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And essentially, if you really unpack everything that's in that verse, um, which is more or less what my book is about, the righteous take all that they've been given by God. So their their jobs, their knowledge, their relationships, the platform that they have, the influence that they have, whatever assets they have, whatever skills and talents they have, both natural gifts and spiritual gifts. They, they take all of that and they deploy all of that in ways that, that seek the, the good of their neighbor. They deploy all of those things in ways that bring what I call kingdom fortes into their communities. Um, by kingdom fortes, I mean the, the things that will mark the fully consummated kingdom of God at the end of time. You know, we read about the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven onto earth. Uh, dressed like a bride. That's in Revelation. We, we read about this idea of the new heaven and the new earth, where there'll be no more tears and no more suffering. Well, there's a lot of... We don't know everything there is to know about what, what life in the fully consummated kingdom is going to be like, but there's actually quite a few biblical passages that give us glimpses into what that life is going to be like, and that tell us the characteristics. And if you study those, what you see is that life is going to be marked by perfect justice and perfect beauty, perfect intimacy with God, perfect wholeness, um, perfect relationships, perfect community. Um, And so the the righteous rejoice their cities by saying, okay, how can I become a kingdom foretaste bringer in my sphere of influence? How as a Christian engineer, uh, a, a Christian carpenter, how can I use what God has given to me and how can I give someone else today 
uh, inside my organization or outside my organization, how can I give them a little foretaste of more beauty, more joy, more wholeness, more justice, more more goodness, more of a, a taste of, of intimacy with, with the Lord? And as God's people do that, they begin to change their neighborhoods, their families, their their workplaces, even the sectors in which they work. Like I said, we're talking today with Amy Sherman. She's written this incredible book, Kingdom Calling. And it's a book that will, it's not a quick read because you gotta, you gotta, you're going to absorb some things that you've never heard before. But a quick read isn't always a great read. It makes it easy to get the things ready for a show. But I loved this book because it just touched my soul and it helped me understand some things and it helped me understand how to encourage other people. Amy, as I said, a lot of people join uh, us right here after the bottom of the half hour and they, they're just tuning in. If you would just reference again or just give out the definitions again, who are the righteous and how are they bringing about a rejoiced city? So the righteous in scripture, the Hebrew word is the sadakim. And it's people who are deeply and passionately in love with God and His purposes in the world. And they're people who see everything that they've been given, um, their natural abilities, uh, the skills they have, the, the spiritual gifts they have, the relationships they have, the job they have, the education they've received, the assets they've, they've accumulated. They see everything that God has given them as blessings that are meant to bless other people. And in fact, to, as, as blessings that they're to sort of pour out and share uh, for the common good, uh, and, and even in a way in which they, they, they so are passionate uh, about using everything that God's given them to bless other people, that they even are willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of the common good, and they find joy in that kind of sacrificial generosity. So that brings about the idea behind the rejoiced city. When Christ followers are living out the calling in their lives and living it to the point of where they actually may disadvantage themselves for the common good, what does a rejoiced city look like? Well, the righteous, because of their love for God and their love for His kingdom, they understand that um, that God's kingdom is marked by values like justice and beauty and joy, wholeness, intimacy with with God, um, deep and rich and fulfilling community. There are people who say, how can I, through the work that I'm doing, through my relationships at work, but also through the work itself, how can I advance those kingdom values uh, in my spheres of influence, how can I bring about a little bit more beauty, a little more joy, a little more justice into my workplace, uh, into my neighborhood, into my family, uh, even into the sector in which I uh, inhabit, you know, whether I'm working in the healthcare sector or the education sector or the government sector or the business sector. Um, and as God's people begin to recognize that they have this vocational power, that the skills, the talents, the, the assets, the, the networks, the, the platform, the seniority, the influence, that they recognize, okay, I've got this vocational power, now how can I strategically deploy that to bring about these kingdom fortes? Uh, 
um, they begin to work differently. They begin to relate to the people they work with and among differently. And collectively, that can bring about real significant uh, change in their workplaces, in their, in their industrial sectors, and in their neighborhoods and communities. Well, you've just used two words together that most Christ followers listening to the show today and the ones that will listen to it around the world on the podcast have probably never heard together, a kingdom foretaste. And, and we understand what the word foretaste is, and we're just learning what the kingdom is all about. But can you give some examples of what a kingdom foretaste would be for a couple of different professions? Yeah, one of the stories I really like is about a guy named Doug Wilson, and he was uh, an executive for a company out in the Midwest. And uh, so he wasn't the owner of the company, he wasn't the CEO of the company, but he was a guy with a you know, pretty good amount of seniority. I think his title at that time was the um, Vice President for uh, Human Resources. Anyway, to make a long story short, the company he worked for was a, a light manufacturing company, about a 1,000 people working at a manufacturing plant. And um, they had done a study uh, in which they had discovered that um, their, a lot of their employees really weren't that healthy. Um, the company offered a, a, a nice health insurance plan, um, but people often weren't taking advantage of it. They, they weren't going to the doctor. They weren't um, uh, getting wellness exams. You know, they, uh, sometimes they weren't uh, taking their prescriptions or getting their prescriptions filled when, when they should. And, and this was creating a, a less than, you know, ideally healthy workforce, and that was impacting um, you know, things like sick time, you know, and people having to take time off. So they tried to figure out, well, why, why were people not taking advantage of the health care that was offered? And a really big reason was the fact the plant was located in a rural area pretty far away from where any, you know, doctor's offices would be. And so people that were these hourly workers, they didn't really want to take the time off to to travel all the way to the doctor's office, you know, and you have to wait around in the waiting room forever. And, um, you know, the whole thing just takes so much time. And they just didn't want to lose all that time from work. So to make a long story short, what Doug was able to do was partner his company with a nonprofit group that um, their mission is to establish health and wellness clinics right on site uh, at manufacturing plants so that employees can have access 24-7 um, to doctors and, and other medical services right there uh, on the campus of the, of the company. Now, obviously, it was going to cost the, the company money to build that sort of center and hire the doctors and nurses and, you know, run that clinic. And so they crunched the numbers, and Doug had to make this presentation to the, to the board and the owners and everybody. And what, they, what he said was, you know, we've really looked into this. We've spent all this time. And we think that even though there's going to be a big upfront cost, you're going to recoup that cost within three years because our employees are going to be healthier. They're going to miss work less often. We're going to have fewer accidents. We have greater productivity, you know, yada, yada. Um, and it's going, to, it's going to come out. And actually what happened was after the first year of that clinic being set up, they came out something like $300,000 ahead. Their, their people were healthier. They had fewer claims. They had fewer big surgeries. They had fewer missed work days. So, so Doug Wilson and the team that he gathered together um, did something amazing to bring a kingdom foretaste of health and wholeness. Some of these workers 
literally had their lives saved because through this uh, on-site clinic, they were uh, they would go, they'd get checked out for things, and and they would find things at early stages that otherwise these these employees wouldn't have even known that they had these different problems or diseases. So that was a kingdom fortress that he brought to a thousand employees at his company. So let's finish drawing the rest of that picture, because again, the kingdom, the idea of bringing the kingdom to earth as Jesus prayed, How finish the rest of that picture then. How is bringing a medical clinic into a manufacturing facility in a small town in the Midwest, how is that a foretaste of the kingdom? Well, we know that when the kingdom is here in all of its consummated fullness, when the new heavens and the new earth are here, when we're living in the in the age to come in the in the new Jerusalem, we know there's going to be no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. We are going to be people who enjoy perfect health. And so, what Doug did was give people a little foretaste of that health that we will one day have. We can't have perfect health this side of heaven, but he brought a greater taste of heavenly health to his. Uh, co-workers, thousand people working in that plant. And, and that's a kingdom forecast. Mm, what a great picture. But Dr. Amy Sherman, there's so much more, isn't there? And that's really what your book is all about, is to help us understand the fullness of the gospel. That's right. In the New Testament, in the gospels, you know, it talks about Jesus going around healing people and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So in Jesus' own words, gospel and kingdom, they're, 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 they go together. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot. That says a lot. But talk to me about you know the, the typical presentation of the gospel versus the full presentation of the gospel. What is it typically presented, and how is, what's, the, what's missing, and how can we fill it out today? How can we help our listeners today understand the full call of Christ? Well, I think it's helpful in, in thinking about the fact that that Jesus says that he has come to renew all things. Um, he's come to restore all things. And at the end of time, when the, new, when the kingdom arrives in all of its consummated fullness with Christ, it says that he will be saying, you know, behold, I make all things new. So the gospel is about Jesus' work of making all things new. And that all things is, is a really important phrase. We see it a lot in Colossians in the first chapter when the Apostle Paul is describing the gospel. And I find it helpful to, to sort of think of the all things in terms of sort of four dimensions of shalom. Shalom is that great Hebrew word that, that's translated in the English as peace, but it, it really means so much more. Shalom was this Hebrew concept uh, that, that comes out of the creation itself, where God creates this world, and there's perfect peace between human beings and God, so that's spiritual peace. There's perfect peace uh, psychologically. We, are, we have this sense of internal wholeness and, and wellness, right? Adam and Eve aren't having midlife crisis in the garden, right? So psychological peace. Then there's the social peace. The relationship between Adam and Eve is a, before the fall, it's this perfect uh, relationship. They're naked and unashamed. And then there's this peace that happens between humanity and God's created order. There's this sort of material peace or this physical peace where we're in harmony with the created environment. And what happens in Genesis 3 
in the fall is that all four of those dimensions of that shalom are shattered. And so instead of spiritual peace with God and and this face-to-face relationship, now we have spiritual brokenness and alienation. Now, instead of internal wholeness, we have psychological alienation and, and brokenness. Now, instead of social peace, we have conflict and blame and violence. And now, instead of that material peace with the created order, we have this physical brokenness, death and decay and corruption enter into the world. So when Jesus comes and is and in his inauguration says, you know, I'm, I'm here I am, I've shown up to preach the gospel to the poor, and I've come to set at liberty the captive and to receive, you know, give the sight, give the sightless back their their sight. He's talking about this this work that he's going to be doing in which he's going to restore through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. He's going to restore all four of those dimensions. He's going to make it possible for us once again to have peace with God, that, that spiritual peace. He's going to, his death and healing and resurrection makes it possible to have psychological peace. His death, resurrection makes it possible for us to have peace with one another, to have unity where before we had brokenness. And it even brings about the healing of the created order. That's why we know in the, that's why we're told that in the new heaven, the new earth, there's not going to be any more decay. They're going to have all this plenty and there's going to be all these trees and there's going to be springs in the desert. You know, the, the decay and the corruption of the physical earth itself is going to be healed. So we need to be sure that we give Jesus Christ all the glory that he is due for his work on the cross, because that work on the cross, yes, absolutely, it fixed that broken relationship, that vertical relationship between us and God. It restored us from spiritual alienation to spiritual peace. But the cross did more than that. It also addressed all three, all those other three dimensions. And so the gospel needs to be understood as Jesus' work as bringing about this fourfold shalom, this restoration of all of that. And we don't give him enough glory if we, if we say, oh, yeah, the gospel's about how Jesus died for our sins so that we can be in right relationship with God. Well, absolutely, hallelujah, it's absolutely about that. But it's about a lot more than that. And let's be sure we give Jesus all the credit and glory that he is due. Well, and I think some of that comes from the fact where, hey, I invite you to enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's in it. That is part of it. But it's just one part of it. And to understand that he calls us into relationship, not just for relationship even though that is extraordinarily at the top of his priority list, but he calls us to use that relationship to impact all of those around us. And that's the kingdom restoration part. And I just, you're the authority. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that to me seems so significant. As we talked today with Dr. Amy Sherman, she's written this book, Kingdom Calling, which you've got to get a copy of this. Amy, as you talk about the impact of the whole gospel where Jesus came to restore all things, to renew all things, he'd been given all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. How does that impact our work? Well, I think it gives us this, it can give us a really big picture uh, of, of what, we're, what we're there to be working for. So I think about a chef in Pittsburgh, Chef Nikki, and she designed her bistro, her little restaurant. She designed it with this 
a completely open kitchen. And so when you go in there to order your food, you can see everything that's going on. And she told me, you know, the, the reason I did that was she said, I want people to see me on display. And that includes seeing me at my worst. <laughs> she said, I actually want to see people watching me yell at my other, you know, employees when I get stressed out so that they can also watch me turn around and ask those folks for forgiveness. She said, I want to be on display vulnerably to my customers to show them I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not perfect. I've been forgiven. I can, so I know I need to forgive others. I need to show grace. So there she is having this sort of evangelistic testimony by the way she literally designed her restaurant. Or it's it's an it's an architect who says, you know, I'm gonna learn I'm gonna take the time to school myself in how to how to build buildings that are healthy for people and that are that, that preserve the environment. I'm gonna use organic materials, I'm gonna not use a lot of toxins, uh, and I'm gonna build buildings that um, have really good energy efficiency so they're not wasting a lot of uh, a lot of energy because that's going to be good for the creation. And as a Christian, I'm supposed to care about, about the creation. You know, it's a, it's a builder, it's a, it's a home builder who says, you know, when I build a neighborhood, I'm going to put big front porches on all the houses because community is a real kingdom value. And if I build my houses with big, wide sidewalks and big front porches on all the houses and lots of green space, I'm going to, like, facilitate people you know, having natural interactions with each other and having community with each other and making this more of a neighborhood. And that's good because community is a kingdom value. So we get to think about these kingdom values, these different dimensions of shalom, and then think about, okay, now in my job as a dancer, you know, as, a, as an artist, whatever it is, how can I, how can I advance those kingdom fortes? I don't. I mean, it just you 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 take my breath away. You've got a minute left. If you could just tell an audience of several hundred thousand people someday that'll get to this will get to that many. What's the one thing you want to tell Christ followers about the calling on their lives? You got a minute. You got free for all. Jesus has called you to be in relationship with Him, and He's called you to join Him in His work which is the work of bringing renewal to all things. You get to see the importance of your work as you join it to His work and allow Him to use you as an instrument of getting His work of advancing the kingdom done in and through your daily work. Wow, you did that in like 30 seconds. That was really impressive. <laughs> so how do people follow you? Is there a website that you want to direct people to to, to have people follow you and, and to learn as you're learning? Do you have a website out there? Uh, I have a website that's www.vocationalstewardship.org, and they'll find some tools and some stories there. And then I also write quite a bit for a website called madetoflourish.org. All right, we've had lots of people from Made to Flourish on, so that's fantastic. Dr. Amy Sherman, thanks for coming on, sharing from your heart, sharing your book, sharing your the wisdom that God's given you. Thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Make sure you check out Amy Sherman on vocationalstewardship.org, vocationalstewardship.org, or on the madetoflourish.org website. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately... 
I work for him. 